The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Clean Coders and its employees. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Clean Coders podcast. This week, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and we are talking to Paul Stringer. Paul, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, Charles. Yeah, I'd love to. My name is Paul Stringer. You just said that. And I'm an engineer. I've been in the the software business for about 20 years or so. And I've just recently finished off making a series for the Clean Coders on the topic Mm -hmm. close to my heart of uh, acceptance testing, which is a kind of interesting, I guess, area of software engineering, which I kind of um, stumbled into and got obsessed by to the point where I ended up spending about two years making this video series all about it. So yeah, but but when I'm not doing clean coded videos, I'm, uh, I'm uh, mostly making mobile phone apps for iPhones. Oh, nice. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But What I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So I'm a little curious. Let's just dive right in, right? I think a lot of times we talk about testing and, you know, there's unit testing and integration testing and people kind of do a lot of automated testing. What is acceptance testing? All right. So acceptance testing is the kind of, let's take a step back. So uh, we start the series of talking about the pyramid of testing, mm-hmm. right? Everybody knows the agile right. testing pyramid. And what I found over the years was that we all kind of were getting a lot better at understanding the bottom of that pyramid, what unit tests were. There wasn't much debate about what that was. We all reasonably understood it, even if there was a kind of, you know, um, bit of a learning curve right. as to how to do it well. And then often what I would see is that we would then skip right to the top and we'd, we'd start doing the UI tests and all the automation, automation of kind of it, not from, not from the developer perspective, but from the kind of perspective of customers using automation at the UI level. And as I said, because I work in the space of uh, mobile apps, there's a ton of that going on. Everybody's trying to automate the heck out of mobile apps to reduce the amount of manual Mm -hmm. testing that goes on. But whenever I ended up in a conversation about, well, what's that bit in the middle? Uh, How do we do that stuff, the integration and the component testing and all that acceptance testing stuff? What is that? I can never really get a straight answer from anybody. (laughs) So I think acceptance (laughs) testing is, is, is that testing that sits Kind of somewhat in the middle, it it it, it tests the the behavior of software at a layer beneath the user interface. So it doesn't have all those concerns about user interfaces. It just tries okay. to uh, encapsulate what the behavior of the software is. And the most important thing about that, and why it's different to every other kind of test, is that it tests it from the perspective of the business or the customer, not the perspective of the developer, which is what unit tests are. Okay, so I don't know if I'm still completely clear about this. So maybe you can just walk me through. 
sort of what an acceptance test would be if you were writing a mobile app or a web app. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the first important thing about an acceptance test, I mean, an acceptance test, the point of it, we go all the way back to the original kind of sort of agile thinking on this. It was the thing that Mm -hmm. you kind of would set out at the start of a piece of work to say, how will we know when this piece of work that we've done, that we're about to do, is done? And that would be, it was done, these acceptance tests pass. And that's it. That's all we. Mm-hmm. That's all we need to know. That's our definition of done. It's unambiguous. It's not something we can sit around and debate. It's just did the test pass or not pass. And that kind of got lost somewhere in the mix because I think because it's actually quite hard to do and implement, and actually feels like an awful lot of work, and, and no one really quite understands quite how to do that effectively. So it kind of gets forgotten about because it's right. inconvenient. But yeah, so it, it's the definition of kind of what the software should do from the perspective of the business requirements, and then. The idea is that you do automate that. And then when they, when you've written the software, the software tells those tests, this is what I do. And those tests go green. And then you have your piece of software doing what you in, you hoped it would do. So yeah, I've, well, I've, you know, in that, in that little ramble, I forgot what your initial question was. So let's go back to that. <laughs> let's see if I can answer it. No, it's all good. So yeah. So what's an example of an acceptance test? So well, let's say you have one. an app. So that was, uh, it, you know, well, what, what's the process of writing one? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, what's the process of writing one, right? What what does it look yeah. like? So in the series, what I do is I use an example of a calculator. Now it's a trivial example. I know that what we build out in the real world is not often uh, as straightforward as a calculator, but it's a good one to kind of wrap your head around for let's say a mobile app. So mm-hmm. let's say we want to build a calculator, but it's um the one we use in the series is we use the original HP thirty five calculator, the Hewlett Packard from way back in the seventies, which was kind of the iPhone of its time. And that works a little bit differently to how calculators as we know them today work. So in that scenario, what we do is we sit down with our team, probably with someone from the business who knows this space better than we do as developers, and we try and articulate with them, what is it this piece of work we're about to do? What 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 are the behaviors? So in the case of the calculator, pretty straightforward, but you know, I would press certain keys. Mm-hmm. After pressing certain keys, there would be certain outputs. And that would be the correct thing. And then we use developers go and go, right. okay, I have some concrete examples of what this thing should do. These are the keys that get pressed. These are the answers that it puts out on the display. And that's my acceptance criteria. So we write them together as a bit of a team, a um, little bit similar to how we do this in BDD, right? It's not, it, there's a lot of overlap mm-hmm. between those two worlds. Um, and then we go away and implement the software. And if it does the right thing, those acceptance tests tell us that and we move on to the next thing. Makes sense. So once I have those requirements, right, then I'm writing automation that says, you know, push these buttons in this order and get this output. Yeah. And and in that way, it's very similar to TDD. So there's a, there's a lot of overlap and similarity in the mechanics of this as there is with TDD, except that TDD comes from the perspective mm. of a developer putting forward their idea of what the software should do. Now, if you don't have acceptance tests, the problem you can end up with is that we kind of make up what the requirements are as we go because we don't really have anything that's, that's completely clear about exactly what things should do. And I've experienced this a lot, and I'm sure developers out there have also, whereby you start off with some set of requirements, but there's a lot of details that haven't yet been fully fleshed out, and you kind of end up interpreting it and doing what you think were the requirements, but sometimes that's different to what people had in their, in their heads. So it's mm-hmm. a kind of way of fleshing that out to make sure that you kind of all basically are aligned on what the thing should do to try and prevent rework later of things that should have should could have been gotten right the first time round. Right. Not that I've ever experienced that where I built something and then had my client or boss say this is what it was not what we wanted. Never, never experienced that at all. <laughs> 
and, and you're sitting going, <laughs> but I'm sure that's what you, you know, that's, that's what, and it's this classic thing where but, but yeah. what people say is not what people hear. You have your own interpretation. Right. When there's ambiguity, we fill in the blanks because, you know, we're, we're trying to do what mm-hmm. we can. We, there are deadlines, and so we kind of go off and do the work. Um, but sometimes that work, when it's not the, the thing that was actually required, is kind of it's wasteful to, to spend that amount of time, especially when we're doing things well, right? So Clean Coders audience, you know, we're yep. all spending a lot of time trying to do things well uh, because we know that's the only way to, to go, really. But you want to make sure if you're going well that you're doing the right things. Otherwise, that's an expensive way of one of the phrases I came across it in the research for this was there's nothing more wasteful than doing the, the wrong thing incredibly well. And this kind of tries to avoid that by trying to yep. figure out beforehand, before you start mm-hmm. even writing the code, what is it this thing does again? And and forcing you to answer that question before you even start writing the code. Whereas, so, I mean, I mm-hmm. certainly do it. I'm keen to get to the keyboard and just start typing because that's the fun bit. But yeah. Oh, yeah. This kind of makes you pause a little bit before you just leap in to start coding. Yep, absolutely. So what what tools do you use to write these? I'm I'm assuming it varies a little bit between, say, mobile apps and web apps, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think the most the common the most common tools that people will be used to is everything in the kind of cucumber and BDD domain when it comes to this stuff. And as I said before, there's a lot of overlap mm-hmm. between BDD and acceptance testing, and kind of the boundaries are quite blurry. I think there's a lot of overlap between them. Um, I personally, because I came into this via the clean code sort of topic area of, of stuff, I, I started using fitness which was the tool that kind of Uncle mm, Bob was inspired yep. to go away and build after a chance meeting with Ward Cunningham, the, the inventor of the wiki, who was the first guy to come up with this idea right. of writing acceptance tests. And he was the guy who came up with this. His first example was the HP 35, turning the user manual mm-hmm. that the users would read into actually the acceptance test for the software itself. And then he built a new calculator from that. Bob saw that and thought that was pretty cool and then built Fitness, which was kind of an mm-hmm. acceptance testing framework, which was a wiki in which you were, anybody in the team could use the wiki and write the acceptance test, and then they could be, right. uh, and they could then execute code. So I use that tool because I like it. Um, it, it. It works for me. It's pretty simple to get into. And the nice thing about it is that it's, it's. Um, I, I've managed to. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time actually making that thing work with Xcode and iOS apps because that's the thing that I work in. So I've been using that as a mm-hmm. tool to acceptance test for an iOS app, which people might think is a little bit. Yeah, it might be a bit of a challenge. You think, how does this, you know? It's quite an old tool now. Fitness has been around for a long time. Could you make that work with a with Xcode, a proprietary closed IDE, and an iPhone? But yeah, it works really well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I've talked to both Bob and Micah about fitness. So yeah, I, um, I think it's a great tool. I think it's underrated uh, personally. But yeah, everybody's got their preference, and that's just that happens to be mine. Yeah. So you know, having used Cucumber and some of these other systems. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a physical press, right? Because I've used Cucumber and it, it effectively, yeah, programmatically manipulates stuff, right? It says fire a click event as opposed to click. Yeah. Or enter, well, yeah. Cha- change the value in this input text input to this other thing instead of actually typing it in. It is, but it, it's a, what fitness does, which I like about it is that I think that, and I don't think this is the problem of, particularly with Cucumber or BDD, but I do think that it's been latched onto as pretty much all the tooling around it seems to come at it from the direction of automating mm-hmm. user interfaces. And I think we all know anybody who's been around long enough, certainly in the mobile space, automating the user interface, it's a it's a complex beast to try to get it to work reliably. Yep. 
And so what you really want to do is get beneath the level of the user interface. So you actually don't want to be talking about text fields. You don't want to be talking about buttons. You don't want to be actually navigating right. through an app from start to finish to do stuff, which is what a UI automation test really is. And that's really an end-to-end test, not an acceptance test. What right. this does is that you want to operate at the level of the objects or the domain, uh, the business logic without mm-hmm. all the other stuff. So fitness kind of doesn't have all that um, leaning towards being UI-based tooling, uh, which a lot of the cucumber tooling does, which I think kind of sends people on a, on a direction, which is a, which it isn't really acceptance testing. It's much more user interface end to end testing. And that's why it's kind of right. complicated. And you look back at the pyramid and you go, well, you're not meant to do much of that at all. You're meant to do a really small amount of that, but you still need to test all the business logic. So what tests do we use to do that? And the, the real problem comes when you try to use user interface testing to do too much of the, of testing all of the business logic, which I think is a sort of, very, very difficult thing to pull off and achieve and have it kind of deliver enough mm-hmm. value back for the amount of effort and complexity which is needed to make that even work reliably. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Right. And that that's kind of the next place I was going to go is how do you make it worth the effort, right? Because when I do unit tests, for example, it doesn't take me very long to get it together. And yeah. I have kind of this sniff test going on every time I run my tests. And the uh, like full on end to end manual tests, you know, I, I'll do those periodically. But I only really do them when I know I have a problem because the cost is high relative to the value. And so the the cost of not fixing the problem effectively has to outweigh whatever I'm dealing with. All the stuff in the middle, it's been really hard for me to quantify. Okay, you know, Mm -hmm. this is worth it, right? Writing these integration tests is worth it. Writing these acceptance tests are worth it, right? So how do you how do you find that balance so that you're getting the value out of your acceptance tests for the work you're putting into them. Yeah. And I think that this is absolutely true. And I think a number of efforts that I've seen around this that I've been involved in, it kind of, it, it does tend to end up becoming more trouble than it's worth from anybody. Automation, UI automation seems to get a little bit more of a free pass because there's a kind of a, there's already a huge QA effort normally to manually test things. Mm-hmm. And so that, effort kind of then gets pointed towards automating it all. So that ends seems to me to kind of continue uh, because there's a whole team dedicated just to doing that and, and, and automating all the manual right. testing. But for the developers working closer to the software itself, I think it's a, a, a genuine question as to like, well, unit tests, yes, I understand the value. I see that every day. Every time I hit hit build and go, I, I know that I'm, I'm in a good place. Mm-hmm. The acceptance test, less so. So I think the way to think about it is that the, the problem you that i guess the domain you're in needs to warrant the additional efforts right so okay you also need to have be in a space whereby that that understanding of the m- domain isn't necessarily going to be in the heads of the developers 
So if there is a gap between the domain that you're working in and the software that you're writing, I think it's imperative that you have some sort of guardrails around what the behavior actually is and that you do the due diligence on what the requirements are. And so in that space, let's say you're working in something that's a, you know, a financial instrument or uh, anything to do with medical or safety or any of those things. Mm-hmm. I think in those situations, you go, it's really important that we understand the requirements of this software actually fulfills those requirements. And therefore, the effort of putting in the extra tests around this to actually check it from the point of view of those requirements is worth it because the, the cost of it going wrong is very, very high. So it's not appropriate everywhere. That's certainly what I've learned over the years is that you don't use it on everything everywhere. You use it where it, it where it's important that things really do behave as expected and that and that yeah, if they were to go wrong then then it would be there'd be a high cost to that. You know, either financially in sales or whatever, whatever the cost would be that it's high enough to warrant the extra effort to go to to make sure that it really does do what you think it should do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. For example, it takes credit cards, right? I want to get paid for my app. So, yeah, you know, I need that to work kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's the same with, you know, with TDD as well. You maybe don't TDD absolutely yeah. everything. Some things you kind of know are fairly, you know, you understand them pretty well enough and you know that the kind of the cost of them going wrong is, is either highly unlikely or either the cost of writing the test is so high that it doesn't, it doesn't warrant the effort for the thing that would potentially go wrong off the back of it. So for instance, I used to mm-hmm. see a lot of um, times when TDD became kind of people trying it for the first time in mobile apps, testing absolutely everything, even things all the way up into the view and how things laid out. But they were extremely uh, expensive in terms of complexity to write. And the downside of it going wrong was like a right. misalignment. And that's not worth the effort. So I think you could apply the same yeah. sort of rule of thumb to kind of your, your behavior or software. If it's critical behavior, then it's probably worth uh, getting it right. If it's less critical, then maybe you don't go mm-hmm. to the end three on acceptance tests around that. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've kind of talked about what you want to test and what you don't want to test in order to get the value. The other part of this that I'm a little curious to, to get your take on is how do you make sure that the acceptance tests then thoroughly test the business logic, right? So that, yeah, you're not missing critical pieces and at the same time, yeah, that you're not over-testing what you're writing. Yeah, well, I, the first thing that occurs to you as you ask that question is is the fact that it's actually much easier to exercise far more of the business logic through this layer that is beneath the surface of the UI. It's often very, very difficult to get to all the different edge cases and scenarios from a user interface because you've got to kind of get the state from the user interface perspective exactly to cover all those conditions, which can be quite tricky. When you're working at the level beneath the UI, and this is kind of also how you keep the cost of these tests down because you haven't got all that complexity. So they run really quickly because you're just talking that they, they're as fast as unit tests pretty much because they don't have all the uh, additional complexity of kind of running the whole application. So in that case, you can, you can actually get quite a lot of the, the business logic scenarios. How you know how much of it you've covered. I mean, the way you work out how much of it you, that you've covered all the cases sufficiently is the same way that you do in TDD. You don't write the code until you've written the acceptance criteria, and then you use the acceptance criteria to drive what code you're actually writing. Therefore, you know that the only mm-hmm. scenarios that have been that exist are the ones that you've written tests for. So you, it's the same kind of a principle there. What if you're not doing TDD? I know some people, you say TDD, and they're just like... <laughs> yeah. What if you're not doing it? So if you... Well, it, it, this actually helps in that regard, because I've found if you've got acceptance tests, Sometimes you don't need as as large an amount of of unit tests because actually the acceptance tests 
coming at it from a different perspective have actually tested all the things you would do at a at a unit test level. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing so, in if you're not doing unit tests, acceptance tests are better than nothing at all. Certainly, but I'd still think you should be doing your your, your TDD and your unit tests as well. No, um, I, yeah, I'm I'm talking TDD in particular, right? So, I know some people they you know you talk to them about writing their tests first, and they just ah, I see. You know, I know people that just refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. So, if you're not doing TDD, can you still write acceptance tests? I'm assuming you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah, and and but it, it, acceptance tests are the things where really you can't, you really can't avoid writing the test first. Like it's almost kind of in, implicit in them that mm-hmm. you have to write the test first because otherwise, how do you know what the code is that you're meant to write? So it would be, I mean, you could do it the right. same way as in like I've written all the behavior. Now let's try and write the acceptance test, which prove what I've written is correct. But it would be harder to do that. It would be just to write the acceptance test first. Because that's where you get a lot more value out of it because you have a much greater understanding of what it is you're about to do, meaning you're probably not, you know, you're not, you're not making things which are like, oh, this isn't actually what it's meant to do. I'll undo all that and go back and, and start again. It is kind of the thing that, that gives you the, re- it gives you the requirements, right? And all you're trying to do is make that, that behavior come into existence. And so you have to write in this, uh, for this to be effective, you've got to write those acceptance tests first and be driven by those. Um, and then your unit test later, well, yeah, like, but it's certainly not a requirement that you write unit tests to be able to do acceptance testing. They're just right. Very no, I, I can definitely see that. But we've already talked about sort of when your uh, written specifications mm. fail to be clear, right? And yeah, usually your acceptance test, you can walk a business person through it. Or if you're writing something like Cucumber, right, then, then it just reads like English. But yeah. you're saying, when I click this button and I do this other thing, then I get this outcome, right? If I'm not logged in and I go to this page, I get this output. You know, I get this whatever. And yeah. so it, it it just clarifies all that stuff where, yeah, usually the specification is, is well, I kind of want it to look like this and I kind of want it to look like this other thing and it should work like this third thing. And so then you go and you build it out and the parts of that you thought were important turn out to not completely encompass the parts they thought were important. But yeah, if you have I, an acceptance I, test, then then you've got that covered. Yeah, and I think the thing the thing that has been most revealing to me about the kind of power of this thing is that when you actually go through the discipline of this process and you sit down with people and by having to articulate it into something as sort of simple as inputs and outputs effectively all boils down to that so whatever however you've written the requirements whether it be in english or whatever it doesn't matter at the end of it it comes down to some inputs a transformation on that data somehow or or that Mm -hmm. logic and an output and the very act of needing to think about it in in that detail such that when you come to code it it's really clear exactly what you're doing but the the discipline of having to write those tests which is a bit of an art it takes a bit of time to kind of be able to think like that because there's many times i've seen a story or or a requirement and gone i don't know how this translates into just uh, computer code basically how we're going to take these inputs and 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 figure out what comes out the other side of this so the act of writing them really forces you to think about it and you end up kind of iterating a number of times sometimes over the solution of how you're going to structure the test, how you're going to kind of formulate those inputs mm-hmm. and what you're going to check with the output. Um, and that's almost kind of, you're already doing the development work by, but without writing the code, which I think is what's interesting because you, you sort of, ex- you, you end up going through all the permutations kind of in your head or, or together on a screen with other people uh, before you start writing the actual code for it. 
Right. So I'm just trying to think if there are any other things, because I mean, I've done a bunch of this to varying levels of success. It's a really hard thing to 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 get right. Uh, that's the yeah. one thing I have learned is that, and I think this is why it's so, it's kind of why I wanted to make the series on it because there's so almost a lot of vague information out there about what it, what this actually is. And what I've, even though it's kind of really simple sounding and it is a really simple idea in practice, it's very hard to sort of actually do it um, because it, what it requires mm-hmm. is you to actually do the work almost of thinking through the problem and how you're going to implement it without just sitting there and cranking through the code until you get to the solution, right. which is a different way of approaching development. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So I'm wondering, let's say that somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot the next time they throw a feature in my lap to build. How do they get started with acceptance testing it? Good question. So I think that when I, when I looked at this and I needed more information about how to, to actually do it, first of all, I started with fitness. So if you go to fitness.org, there's a there's a lot of information there about what acceptance testing is and a couple of kind of go-tos mm-hmm. for all the different languages and environments like Java, et cetera, et cetera, where you can sort of try out example projects and stuff with that. And I think the other best reference material, I think, on this is a book called ATVD by Example, which is by a guy called Marcus Gartner, which is, you can get that on Amazon. And that is kind of, to me, that is the kind of the, the uh, ultimate reference book for acceptance testing and how to kind of understand the prime principles behind it and how you actually do it. It's got examples, all that kind of good stuff. So yeah, ATDD by example, available at all good online bookstores. ATDD? ATDD, yeah. It's TDD okay. with an A at the front of it by example. Got, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, very cool. So let's talk about this series on clean coders for a minute. First of all, I'm always curious to hear how uh, Bob or Tad or whoever you talked to over there found you. I think my, this is my theory on this. So, so Bob was in town in London. I went to one of his talks, uh, as I do whenever he was in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd been working on this integration between fitness and using it to acceptance test iOS applications. And so I, I grabbed him and I said, you know, I've been working on this thing. I'd like to show it to you because I know I've seen you do, you've done a, done a series and you're doing some Swift development. So you might like this too. And he had a quick look and he turned to me and said, you should make a video series about this. Now, I don't know if that is what he says to people when he wants them to go away and leave them alone, but that's what he said to me. <laughs> because, and then a couple of years later, I got around to it. And I went, you know, that thing you said, uh, I, I think I'd like to give that a try. So I, I spoke to them, got in touch. We, we bounced a couple of ideas backwards and forwards on what the series would look like. And then, yeah, we ended up making it. Nice. Very cool. So, uh, what, what's kind of the outline of the series? Like, like how does it how does it flow? What examples do you use? Yeah, so we the series is it's a five pot series. There was actually one episode that ended up being a little longer than expected. So it was actually originally uh, intended to be a four pot series, but it turned out to be five. But we have a two parter in the middle where we spend a lot of time hands on practically going through an example. So basic outline is first episode is all about the testing pyramid. We talk about all the different kinds of tests, uh, what they all mean, what they're all for and figure out where in the mix acceptance tests sit, what they are and what they are not. In the second episode, we get Mm -hmm. into a bit more of the practicalities of how you actually go about writing acceptance tests using a real-world example. So for the example, we're building, as I said before, we're building a homage to the HP 35, where we reconstruct the HP 35 calculator as an iPhone app, but using the original user guide as our acceptance test to drive it. So we go through the process of writing those tests. We use fitness to write the tests. And then we write the code itself that implements the acceptance test. And we see that process. And that kind of is the middle two episodes that kind of take us on that journey. Mm-hmm. 
The third one we talk about uh, who, why, and when, basically a lot more looking at the agile process itself and where acceptance test sits within that process. So when do you write these? Who writes them? Um, and why we're writing them in the first place at all. And we talk a lot about how it can help with kind of getting velocity to be, be, be predictable, avoiding expensive rework of features later and sort of just trying to sort of make the process a bit more efficient and sort of kind of adding that as a superpower to an agile process. And then we kind of wrap it all up in, in, in episode five, whereby we finish off the calculator. Uh, the team has a big party. We all celebrate the fact that we've uh, made this awesome calculator. And um, we even add into the mixed UI test at the end to see how that would uh, interplay with acceptance tests and kind of using them in a more appropriate way than kind of trying to do too much with it. So yeah, we we go on the the whole journey. Very very cool. So what what are you doing next? The clean coders. <laughs> Probably not nothing for a while. <laughs> I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have a break. Uh, it took about two years to make this series. We made it through the lockdown, which actually kind of helped because we had a, had a lot more time at home to do, to do this stuff. But yeah, I'm probably gonna have to right. break from the video recording. <laughs> But otherwise, I'm working on, yeah, various iPhone projects at the minute. Cool. I think one thing I'd love to work on, I'm not quite sure I'm there yet, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by blockchain and all this technology coming down the line. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see someone, probably it's not me, but somebody do something around clean code principles around all this blockchain stuff. That'd be pretty cool. Um, can you t- TDD blockchain? I don't think I've seen anybody do it yet. So that's one for me or someone yeah, else. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, can you TDD solidity and stuff like? I don't know. Yeah, I saw somebody doing a solidity demo the other day, and I, and I was wondering, hmm, I wonder how you write unit tests for that because it seems like you know you'd, you'd want to. Maybe yeah, you can write acceptance test for it because <laughs> they all contract. Yeah, what if your smart contract doesn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if your smart contract doesn't contract the way you want? Exactly. You, you'd want to know that um, whilst you were building it. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that'd be a great thing yep. kind of series. Uh, personally, I'd love to see that. I'd, I'd definitely watch that one. Yep. Cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, before we wrap up, if people want to connect with you online, where do they find you? Well, obviously, go to Clean Coders. You can check out the series there. And also, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, just search for me on LinkedIn, Paul Stringer, and also on Twitter at Paul Stringer. I just use the same name everywhere. So feel free to, to send me a message or whatever. If you've got any questions, I'd be more than happy to to try and answer them. All right, cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, just encourage people, yeah, go check out the Acceptance Test series on Clean Coders. We'll have a link in the show notes. And until next time, folks, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.